This afternoon, we're going to talk about being happy, how to be joyful no matter what. You know, everybody wants to be happy, right? We, we buy things to try to make us happy. We, we do things, we go places to be happy. Um, you know, there are some people out there that they just don't enjoy life. They, they endure it. They kind of just go through the motions. They're not happy. They think their life must be perfect for them to be happy. So they're always looking for a change for the better. If, you know, if I could just change my situation in life, life would be great. If I could just get rid of all my problems, life would be just fine. But there's no such thing as a problem-free life, is there? No matter what, we're going to have problems. We're going to go through problems. But it's how we deal with those problems that make a difference. And if you're going to learn to be happy or joyful, you must learn to be joyful in the situation. Be joyful in, in your problems, in the very experiences of life. Happiness comes from the root word that we get happening from the circumstances. You go up and shake somebody's hand. Hey, man, what's going on? What's happening? You know, the circumstances. What's going on in your life right now? That's kind of uh, what I get from that. Happiness is, is from the circumstances around us, things that surround us. So it's, happiness is more of an external thing than it is an internal thing, which would make joy an internal thing. So you have a happy time when you go to Disneyland. And whenever you leave Disneyland there after a little bit, the happiness goes away. But joy can be constant. So how do you have joy in spite of what's going on in your life? How do we have joy in spite of everything that's going on in the, in the world today, in the nation today, with COVID-19 and all the riots and those things going on? How do we have joy in our life? Well, we're going to learn a little bit from Paul, um, learn from some passages that uh, he wrote. Um, he actually wrote to believers in Philippi. You know, he seemed positive and happy with his lot, despite being locked up in a prison and facing an uncertain future. You know, the last four years of Paul's life, a lot of people would consider to be miserable. But he stayed happy about it, didn't he? He, he was happy with his lot. He spent two years in prison in Caesarea, and then he was put on a ship to go to Rome to appear before Nero. And on his way, he was shipwrecked. He was stranded on an island, bitten by a snake. He survived the winter. Then he continued on to Rome, and he spent another two years in prison awaiting trial to be executed. During those two years in Rome, in prison, he was chained to a guard for 24 hours a day. He had absolutely no privacy. Every, few, every four hours, he gets a new guard. Yet in spite of all these situations, Paul says in Philippians 1, chapter 18, I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Put yourself in that situation. Are you going to rejoice? You, you've been, for four years, had, you know, kind of a miserable time. You've been in prison. You've been shipwrecked. You've been stuck on an island. But Paul says that he does rejoice. But what's his secret? How does he stay so positive in prison? Riding above his problems and being joyful in spite of the fact that everything has not turned out the way he planned it. His words here reveal four essentials for a joyful life. And that first thing that we're going to look at is, I need a perspective to live from. Everyone has problems, just like I said a while ago. 
we don't, we're not going to have a problem-free life. Everyone has problems. When you stepped in today, you brought your problems in with you. We all did. Because you don't just get rid of your problems. But see, your problems are not as important as how you're looking at those problems. The way you look at that problem is much more important than the problem itself. So your perspective about your problem makes the difference. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 but I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Paul says, I, I can see the best in the worst. I can see God at work in the problems even when they don't go my way. If you really believe God is sovereign, you've got to believe this. And this is almost an identical echo of Joseph's words to his brothers who sold him to Egypt in Genesis Chapter 50, verses 19 through 20. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. So it's, they're, like I said, it's kind of echoing what, what Paul said. You know, it, these things happen, but God let it turn out for the good. Philippians chapter 1, verse 13, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. But Paul is saying it's become clear throughout the palace guard and to everyone else that he's in chains for Christ. Paul had always wanted to go to Rome. Instead, God put him in prison where he could write the New Testament. He was chained to the palace guard, the elite troops of the Roman Empire. He was able to influence lives from within the palace. So even though you know, Paul wanted to go to Rome so that he could spread God's word, you know, he could be out and about and free, telling everybody about God. Instead, God puts him in prison, and he preaches to the people that probably needed it more than the others that he wanted to preach to. Then outside, so outside of the prison... Things were moving. Philippians chapter 1, verse 14. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. You know, amazingly, everything that is considered bad, at least from the human perspective, turned out to be good in God's perspective. And this is the attitude we must adopt. This is the perspective we need to live from if we're going to have joy in our life. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 sums up this principle. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. A need, I need a perspective to live from. The way you look at a problem is more important than the problem. See the best and the worst, no matter the situation. Things we consider bad turn out good with God because God has a plan for what he has us doing what he has us going through the lesson from that is God has a purpose behind every one of our problems there is a purpose for why we go through the things that we go through why we have the problems that we have I read a story about a mother who was embroidering and uh, her, her little boy comes up beside her and he looks at her, looking up from the floor, and he says, Mom, what are you doing? And she says, well, I'm, I'm making a beautiful flower. 
And uh, he says, well, it kind of looks like a mess to me. From under here, it, it looks like a mess. And if you've ever seen somebody embroidering, if you look at the bottom side of it, well, it just looks like a mess of threads. There's just no rhyme or reason to it. It just doesn't, it doesn't look right. So she says, well, son, you go on and play. In a while, when I finish, I'll, I'll show it to you so you can see what, what this flower looks like. So later on that day when she finished up, she hollered for her son. He came in there and, and he showed her from, she showed him from the front, from the top side of what it looked like, this beautiful flower by a sunset. And he couldn't believe because from underneath it looked like a mess, like I said. It just looked like a mess. You know, God has that same design for us. We can't fully see everything in its beauty from, from this side of heaven. But one day we will when we see it from his perspective. And we have to trust him in that. Number two, I need a priority to live by. When things get tough, I need to be clear what is really important and what is not. I want to distinguish the trivial from the significant. It's like the famous Bible commentator Matthew Henry who said after he was robbed, thank God, though they took my money, they did not take my life. You can live your life bored down by trivial matters, which are usually the, the problems in our lives, or be driven by the significant things of life, which are the matters of great priority, things that we should put priority on and not the, the trivial things. Because the trivial things are what make us worry and what make us you know, doubt God. Either you decide what's important in your life or you let people decide what's important in your life. If you don't choose your priorities, you'll go around putting out one fire after another. Living your life simply from problem to problem to problem and not choosing what's important. Philippians chapter 1, verse 15 through 17. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the de defense of the gospel. And this is, again, this is Paul talking. Well, Paul says, basically, there's other people out there. There's competitors outside criticizing me and attacking my ministry. They're doing it out of envy and robbery, out of selfish ambition, wanting to stir up trouble for me. See, if you want something to steal your joy quicker than anything else, just listen to people that criticize you. Listen to the criticism, the, the criticism, the criticism that people throw your way and throw against you. If you want your joy taken away, listen to what those negative people have to say about you. See, Paul says he's not going to let anyone steal his joy, not his circumstances or his critics. Neither one of those are going to steal his joy. Chapter 1, verse eight, 18 what then, notwithstanding every man, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ has preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, I will rejoice. He said their motives may be wrong, their style may be wrong, but the message is getting out and Christ is being preached. I will rejoice in that. See, Paul had his priorities set. He had his priorities clear and he wasn't going to let criticism or rivalry steal his joy. Don't let pity, pity, Petty things ruin your day and rob your joy. It's not worth it. You don't, have to, you don't have to lose sleep over it. You don't have to lose sleep over them because 
we're going to have differences with everybody. You know, the way I view something is going to be different than the way that Josh views something. But we can't let these differences get in between us. We can't let them have let them get to us and let us have a bad day. Sometimes you just have to let stuff go. So we need to distinguish the trivial matters from the significant matters. Don't let anyone steal your joy away. Don't major on the minor. Don't major on the minor things of life. Let them go. Focus on what really counts. Know what is important. I know that some of you are probably singing that song, Let It Go, right now. I know I have. Every time I go over this, I've started singing Let It Go. And no, I'm not going to do that right now. Number three, I need a power to live on. We all need strength to make it through and to keep on going, don't we? We need to draw that strength from the Lord. Problems can wear you out and drain you completely. One crisis after another can really cripple you if you have no outside help. You need a fresh power supply. Philippians chapter 1, verse 19 through 20. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. So Paul says, I have two things that give me strength. And kept me going in this harsh environment. Number one, the prayers of the people. And number two, the help of the Holy Spirit. He says he eagerly expects and hopes that he will have sufficient courage to face the challenges. Expectation and hope. He has placed his expectation and hope in God. We can't live without hope. We have to have hope. But we can pin our hope in people or circumstances, can't we? Both of which will change. People change their minds all the time. So we need God's help. We need to pin our hope in God, not people or circumstances, because he is consistent and will not change. Paul says later in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengthen me. Remember that. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. So we need a fresh power supply. The two things that give you strength are prayers from other people, strength from the Holy Spirit. And place your expectations and hope in God, not other people, not other circumstances. Again, pray and pin your hope in God. To sum it up so far, Number one, to see things from God's perspective. Number two, major on the important things in life and don't let the trivial things rob us of joy and focus. Lean on God's strength through prayers. Number four, I need a purpose to live for. Philippians chapter one, verse 21. For me to, lie, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is, this is Paul's purpose for living. It's his whole purpose for living. He lives to preach the gospel. This goal provides him the fulfillment of life. He's a happy man because he is fully satisfied 
with what he's doing. You may be able to take away his freedom, his privacy, his comfort, his fellowship with Christians, or everything else, but you cannot take away the joy of doing God's will. Not even the joy of leaving this world and returning home to be with the Lord. You look at the last part there where he says, to die is a gain. There is gain. It's a blessing to him. Philippians 20, or, uh, chapter 1, verse 23 says, For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Paul says, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is, which is better by far. That's the ultimate fulfillment for every Christian. Philippians chapter 1, verse 22 through 26. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I what not. Whenever I read that what, W-O-T, I thought, I think I messed up somewhere. I didn't copy and paste that right. But that, from what I read, means no, like I, I know not, I certify not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Even if he stays, it would be for the sake of the believers. Peter basically says, you know, me being here is for your sake, to, to further your walk with the Lord, to, to further the kingdom, basically, is what he's saying. Even though he would love to be with the Lord, it's a better place. Who wouldn't want to be with the Lord, right? So this is Paul's purpose of living. It's the, for the sake of others. The best use of your life is to invest it in something that will outlast it. So how do you do that? You invest in his church. You invest in the body of Christ. The things you do for one another, for fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, will be remembered. Oh, read about a, a study done by the director of the Institute of Child Behavior Research. His name is uh, Bernard Rimland. He did a study about happiness. He, he, uh, each person involved in the study was asked to list 10 people that they knew and that they knew really well and to label them as happy or not happy. Then they were to go through the list again and label each one as selfish or unselfish using the following definition of selfishness. A stable tendency to devote one's time and resources to one's own interests and welfare an unwillingness to inconvenience oneself for others. So in, in categorizing the results, Rimland found that all the people labeled happy were also labeled unselfish. He wrote that those, which, those whose activities are devoted to bringing themselves happiness are far less likely to be happy than those whose efforts are devoted to making others happy. So the research concluded that the happiest people are those who help others. So you think about that. Whenever you've actually helped somebody, whether it be going over and, I don't know, mowing their yard or helping them through some type of problem, just letting them talk it out, whatever it is, did that make you happy? 
You did, didn't you? It makes me happy whenever I, you know, I go and I do something for somebody and they're thankful and happy. It makes me happy. A lot more happy than sitting around thinking about, you know, trying to be happy and trying to do stuff to make myself happy and being miserable in the end. So the secret of joy, oh, I got to back up, sorry. We need to uh, live to preach the gospel, invest in the church, put others before yourself. Joy, the secret to joy is Jesus first, others second, yourself third. You know, the reason why there's so much unhappiness and discouragement in our society is because We've reversed that order to me first, others second, and God last. It's a preoccupation with self, isn't it? It's living in a a me generation. What's best for me? What will make me happy? So no wonder there's little joy in society today, but many heartaches and pain. So when you learn to have a greater purpose in your life than just yourself, you'll experience joy more than you could ever imagine. Like I said earlier, there's no such thing as problem-free life. No such thing as problem-free living. When you live by biblical principles, then problems just aren't as significant, are they? When we pay attention to God and pay attention to to His Word, our problems really aren't that significant. For one, being because we have hope in Him and we know that He's going to provide and we know that He's going to take us through it, through that problem. He's going to get us out of it, whatever it it may be. So what if things haven't worked out as I've planned? God has a purpose that is bigger than my problems. God wants us to enjoy the rest of our lives, but we need to do it His way. So, in conclusion, our Are you looking at the problem from God's viewpoint or just your own? God has a purpose behind every problem. You need to pray, Lord, help me to see this problem from your viewpoint and not my own. Number two, you need a priority to live by. Have you settled the issue of what is really important in your life? Ask God for the wisdom to distinguish between what is significant and what is not. And focus on what's important not on the things that are not important. You need a power to live to live on. Have you been trying to solve your problems yourself? Doesn't really work out that way, does it? God says, relax. You're carrying a burden that, is ne- that was never intended for you to carry. Come to God and give it all to Him and ask Him to recharge you, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. And remember, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And lastly, you need a purpose to live for. Everybody wants to live for a long time. You talk to a lot of people and, I want to live, I don't want to die young. I want to live for a long time. But why? Life isn't judged on our duration, is it? If we're Christians, our life is really judged on how we live it and how we go out and spread the gospel and what we do to further the kingdom how we spread his word. 
we want to, so in that, we want to invest in things uh, significant and eternal, which would be Jesus, be God in the Bible, spreading the word. Whose lives have you invested in and whose lives do you want to invest in in the coming days? Do you want to continue to try to invest in your own life? I mean, you should, but we also need to invest in other people's lives. We need to invest in, in spreading God's word and leading people to Christ. So as we conclude, I want you to remember, for me to live is Christ. And I think that's a, a pretty good motto to live by. For me to live is Christ. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.